everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelis and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Here again with my co-host and Hall of Famer, Mr. Steve Flink. Steve, uh, we'll timestamp this for the listeners. It is, what is it, 2.30 Eastern time on Monday. So we will have been through two complete days of tennis. Still first round activity with an early start, right, Steve? Yeah, that I have to say, David, it, that, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very conflicted about that. It's great for fans; <laughs> it gives them an additional weekend day, so that that un, I understand the, for the working people in in Melbourne that it's another chance to get out there. Maybe they can't get there during the weekday or night, but it does slow down. <laughs> excuse me, the start of the tournament. That I think is too bad in a way because we're we're, we're talking on Monday. We're tonight. Our time will be the completion of the first round on the third day of the tournament. I have no, I'm 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 a bigger fan of the Wimbledon uh, French Open way. Get 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 the first rounders if you can, barring bad weather. Get the first round done in the first two days, so and the tournament gets into motion more quickly. I get it though. They're looking out for the fans, and I'm and they. They happened to get a treat on the opening Sunday, so it, it did work out very well. Understood. Understood. Both points, right? Both sides of it. All right. A couple things before we get into some of the matches that have occurred. Um, Rafa, uh, we were the last time we spoke, we were concerned because he was a little injured. He was hoping it was just maybe a muscle. It was a shock to the muscle. It was a little bit tear. He had to pull out, so he's not playing. He's missed 16 slams in his career. You could look at it both ways. Steve. That's four years of slams, right? You can look at it both ways. Like one, like, oh my God, look at how many more he may have had and be disappointed that he didn't have that opportunity. Or two, look at it the other way and be like, oh my God, he won that many missing all those slams. It's just a sad, sad well, thing that, that he I had to miss someone. Yeah, I look at it more the latter. I mean, and also, had he played those additional 16 and the wear and tear in his body, I, I doubt we'd, he'd still be around today. And I think he knows that. So it's worked out pretty well. And he never thought he'd be approaching 38 and still in the game with maybe some fleeting chances left. It's worked out well. You're right. It's a lot of slams to miss. And he's commented on it himself as well. I think he laments that. But I think he also knows, you know, just imagine how much more punishment his body would have taken. For those 16 slams well well said and also you know there was a there was an article about um i think on the atp and wta i believe it was joint they talked about um the new balls the new tennis balls maybe moving forward working on some sort of plan where what we addressed in our last episode as well steve there's just too many injuries going on maybe keeping it more consistent also with the uh no more real late scheduling that's still happening in australia but they're looking at curtailing some of that stuff so that'll be nice the other thing and we're not going to get into it because they just came out and we don't want to spoil it for anyone but the breakpoint episodes season two um i watched them i know you've seen a few of them too steve we're not going to talk about it because we don't want to be spoilers but we've enjoyed them go watch them if you're a tennis fan in between the australia or if you don't have time during the slam watch them after um, I, I enjoyed season one and I, and I enjoyed season two. So uh, I'll just, a, fan. just a very brief comment on that, David. I, I was intrigued by Medvedev who talked about those, those shows and said, it's not real. And basically he was trying to defend himself on the grounds that the players 
he gets along. He admits that he can behave strangely on the court. He, 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 he says it can get tricky for me on the court. He knows that. But he feels that the players who know him in the locker room tend to like him. And I, from what I've seen and heard, I think that is true. So and what I'm, Steve is referring to is a specific episode on, on, on Breakpoint. And the, the viewers will want to watch it because it's definitely intriguing. And it's a reason why Daniil Medvedev came out with that stance. But I do believe him. I have to say, I, you know, he can be aggravating on the court and he concedes that point. But I, I really do get the feeling that whether it's Djokovic or even Sitsipas now, and they didn't get along that well at one time, Sitsipas and Medvedev, but you just go through player by player in the upper ranks, Carlos. They, they, I think they, they, they see a certain congeniality in Medvedev and, and a certain sincerity uh, in him in the locker room that they find appealing. So he's a, he's a fascinating guy. He is. And again, I, I would recommend watching that episode to all those tennis fans out there. Um, another person that I wanted to talk about, it's so nice to see on the grounds because he's pretty private since he's retired. Um, you've seen a lot of Andre Agassi on the grounds in Australia. Saw him taking pictures with um, Ben Shelton, with Carlos Alcaraz. He was with on the practice court with um, Yannick Sinner and Darren K.O. Obviously, K.O. was Andre's coach after Brad Gilbert. Um, there was a funny moment, yet serious as well, between Novak and Andre. Remember, a few years back, more than a few years, but Novak and Andre worked together for a short period of time. They're friends. Um, Novak was up, what, four? Uh, to me, I'll put in context, Novak was up 4-0. I think he was up break point at 5-0. And he he hit a great return. He looked up at Andre and smiled. And I'll get to your comments in a minute, your reaction in a minute, Steve, but to me, Andre and Novak was were always the two best returners in the game. Jimmy Connors, obviously, I think, set the bar. I think Andre raised that bar. Um, I still think Andre is probably the best, most aggressive returner there is, just going after the ball. Novak is the best all-around returner. If you remember Andre, Andre got aced a lot because Andre was guessing. And when yeah. he was on it, he was on it. Novak, he doesn't get haste a lot, and you know how good and solid he returns it. But um, that but interview point, with Novak, I'll, I'll I'll get pass it on to you, Steve. I want to hear your reaction to it. Yeah, no, I I it was it was interesting. Yeah. Novak, of course, had won the first set against that young kid Dino Prismich, who's a remarkable young man, half Novak's age, eighteen year old with incredible poise. Kept Novak out there for four hours, but the kid won the second set, and then was up a break in the third, came from a break down to love to go up 3-2, serving with a breakup. Novak wins eight straight games from there. Then the points you're talking about gave him break point for five love in the fourth. He's up four love, hits a, an Agassi-like return uh, on the stretch, forehand cross-court return winner that gave him the break point. And it ended, ended up losing the next three games, as it turned out, and finally closed him out on his six-match point, 6-4 six, in the fourth. But he, he was kidding Agassi with those remarks afterwards, saying, I looked at you and, you know, and, and then I lost the next three games, you know, and playfully uh, kidding him about that point. But, but also complimenting him by saying that that return, basically what he was saying was that return was like one of yours. But, you know, very nice gesture from Djokovic to say that. And I, Agassi was smiling and, and nodding back at him, appreciative of the mention. No, they, I, they're, they're friendly and get along. Andre gets along with quite a few of the players, but Novak especially. Um, well, you know what, David? In, in turn, it's, it's, it's not always the case when a player-coach relationship breaks up. And that, as you say, that didn't last that long, but it didn't leave any bad blood with either one of them. I think Agassi understood. You know, frankly, 
<clears throat> I think they just have some differences of opinion, honest differences of opinion about how to go about it. And so uh, it, it's, it's nice to see that there, were, there was no, n- nothing lingered, there were, there were no bad feelings lingering, just as the case with, even more so it seems like, with Djokovic and Boris Becker remain quite friendly, even though Boris is now coaching Hogaruna. Yeah. So yeah, it was nice to, uh, again to see uh, to see Andre. That was the it was the major that he won the most out of his eight majors. He won the Aussie the most out of uh, obviously U.S. Open, French, and, and after uh, David, and that was after yeah. giving it a late start. You know, he missed it so many years early in his career, right. and finally over there in '95 and beats Pete in the finals, and then grew to love that major probably as much as any of them, maybe more so. So I think some a part of him regretted that he didn't start playing the Australian a bit sooner. And also that uh, with Wimbledon too, he, he he stayed away from Wimbledon for a bunch of years after his debut and then comes back in 91 and almost makes the semis and then wins it in 92. So I think he realized in both, <clears throat> in both cases, those were majors that suited him for different reasons. A hundred percent. Yep. Agreed. All right, let's go, let's go to the tennis, tennis itself. Um, a name that has been missing for a bit with an, and she's back now. She's with actually Mark Lucero, who's traveling with her. Mark, I've had on the pod. Very nice guy. Very good coach. He's coached other Americans out there. Amanda Anisimova with a nice first round win. We have not heard from her. Um, you know, she, she, she came on tour, said some really good results really fast. And then I remember her father, right? Her father, I think, passed away unexpectedly as she was getting ready for a U.S. Open. And it's kind of been a little bit rocky, understandably so. It's nice to see Amanda Anisimova back on tour. Oh, it is. And she's a very gifted player, a real talent. You know, certainly wouldn't be surprised to see her get back to the top, to get be in the top 20. That would be no shock to me. I'd take her a while, but she's got... She's got some real gifts out there, and that's glad. I, I think everybody's happy to see her back. Uh, Coco Goff, I'm really curious, you know, to see how this is. This is the the very next slam of hers after she won the previous one, right? After she won New York, so she's now not the defending Aussie Open champ, but she's the most recent Grand Slam champ. And you're always curious to see how they reacted. Is there more pressure on her? Um, we talked in our previous episode that she's just bigger stronger they mentioned about being stronger yesterday in the broadcast um walking out there with and playing with more like a swagger and just so much confidence um after a choppy first set yesterday she rolled in the second easily easily winning the second round opponent is interesting steve i expect coco to win but she's gonna play caroline dolhide now for those that remember caroline dolhide she's from hinsdale illinois it's about 25 minutes from where i currently live um Caroline made the final of Guadalajara late last year against Maria Sakari. Sakari won, but Dolhide's a, a bigger physical player. Um, she can give Coco some problems. It's not like Coco's going to easily hit Caroline off the court. Again, I expect Coco to win, but this is this could be a little bit tricky of an opponent. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think I think she'll be ready for it, though. I, I, but one interesting, fascinating development there, we should briefly talk about it, David, is that. Uh, Brad Gilbert in the offseason, I'm not sure exactly when he did this. He took Coco to Andy Roddick yeah. for a couple of days. Roddick worked on her serve. That says a lot to me about Brad Gilbert, that he has enough security in himself to not worry about farming something out like that if he couldn't pinpoint what he wanted to change in 
Coco serve or what he might want to want to have her consider. So he brings her to Roddick and, and she seems very pleased. It's more of an abbreviated motion. And I don't, he changed her toss, but the bottom line is I think that could end up making a big difference because I think that that serve could be, could end up being the real cornerstone of her game should be first serve has always been terrific, but now maybe with a more reliable toss, it'll be better than ever. And I'll be, I'll be keeping an eye on that this tournament, but she commented on it in her post-match interview after the first round and talked about how it simplified the toss now. And, and that she felt like Andy is one of the all time great servers. So why not listen to him? But I, I believe that speaks volumes about Gilbert in, in terms of how he looks at himself and not being afraid to, get other voices involved if he doesn't feel he personally has the solution. I mean, that's the definition of wanting to get a player better, right? Get a, get with someone. If it's not your strength, get her with someone whose strength it is who can yeah. help that player. So good on, good on Brad for doing that. Um, yeah. Stick with the young American on the men's side, Ben Shelton versus um, RBA, right? That's a tricky match. I was, I was interested in that match. I'm like, ah, if a Gook, if Batista Gook could get his teeth into that match, that could get dicey, very mature, straight set win for Ben Shelton. Well, fortunately, he escaped some early difficulties on his serve. And he won the first easily 6-2. And then, then he got through the next two 6-5. And, and he did say that even with it being a 2-6-5 match, that it was very physical. <laughs> I think he was glad that he got it done in, in straight. Uh, it's not quite the same RBA, RBA we knew back four or five years ago uh he doesn't have the same confidence and maybe he's slightly past his prime now but he's still such a hard out because he gets so many balls back he just doesn't believe in himself on the big points as much as he once did but that was a good start for ben shelton i mean a lot of people hoping to see him play novak djokovic again if he can win two more matches they, they could meet in the round of 16 but that was certainly a nice start for ben who had that great run to the quarters last year or losing to Tommy Paul. So um, that was kind of the start of his emergence. That was his first trip abroad. Now he is, as he said, he feels like he's come back home this year to Melbourne. Yeah, I thought it was a very, like I said, a previously mature win, and we'll see how Ben continues on through the draw. Um, another person that's disappointing result, not so much that he lost, but in the fact that it was more one-sided than I think um, himself and most all tennis fans believe, Andy Murray losing in straight sets to, to Echeverry. Echeverry is a very good player. Um, but usually we're used to seeing Andy, you know, really playing these tough, long, close matches, especially in majors the last few years in the first and second round. Um, it was pretty routine, which was kind of sad to see. Yeah, it was a hard fought first set six, four. And then thereafter he was really essentially obliterated and, it was even more difficult to watch the clip of his press conference talking about retirement and wanting to do it on his own terms and not being sure yet, but obviously evaluating it with some real hard integrity. In other words, not, not kidding himself. He knew he'd been beaten badly and it was doubly jar jarring David, because he felt like for the past 10 days, he'd been hit playing really well in practice. Now he knows there's a big, the mountain of difference between practice and match play. But nonetheless, he obviously went in with a positive attitude and surely expected to do a lot better than that. So it could be that retirement is not that far away, but, you know, he shouldn't be ashamed. You know, he's extended his career a good five years more, seven years than 
than he might have expected because it looked like way back when that he was going to retire right here. They even had a ceremony in Australia because he thought he was going to retire. So the fact that he's been able to extend his career and not on Djokovic or Nadal terms, but at least to the point where he's put in many respectable performances and and been the beneficiary of great crowd support wherever he goes. So it's a tough time for him, though. We'll see where it goes from here. And he even, I think, was quoted in saying this may be the last time, you know, I play in Australia. So um, we'll see. Hopefully he can still have some some good results before he uh, before he retires for good. Another match I want to talk to you about. It was a fun match to watch, but gosh, the match should have been over two hours before it, it really ended was uh, Felix Agir Aliasim versus Dominic Team. Um, Felix was up. Two sets of love and five two in the third set break or double break, I believe, Steve. Yeah. I was it was it was early in Chicago. So if it was if I missed yeah. the double break, no, I mean, no, excuse no, me. But absolutely I, over there. And then he loses the fourth and yeah. and got it got up quickly five two in the fifth and closed it out. Uh that would have been that would have been such a uh this disconcerting loss had it happened. But then again, it's yet another gallant defeat for poor Dominic team, but he loses all of these matches. We can think of a couple against Sitsipas, including one at Wimbledon last year, you know, where he plays remarkably well in defeat and shows flashes of the former Dominic team, but he has not been able to recapture the old Dominic team, the man we saw winning the 2020 U S open, the COVID open, we might call it and being in the finals of the French and, you know, putting in a couple of great performances against Rafa there. It's, it's I, I really worry about team when we talk about potential retirement because I don't know how much more of this psychologically he's going to be able to take, and I don't know how much more he feels he has to give physically, but it's not the same overpowering, imposing player we once knew. Yeah, it was fun. It, it was fun seeing him get his teeth, you know, into that match, and once he won the third, which he shouldn't have won, and then the fourth, and then obviously, yeah, like you yeah. said, FAA got up early in the fifth, but um, what you're referring to, I think like the last four or five slams Dominic team has played, he's lost them all, but like in five sets and it's been um, brutal, brutally close, but he just can't get over the hump in those. And the same, same on the tour as well. Some heartbreaking three set losses on the main, on the tour outside of the slams. So I, I don't know. And, and it, it's going to be very hard for him to climb in the rankings and he just can't seem to get on a roll and, I suspect if this pattern continues across the rest of this season, I don't see team continuing past this year. I honestly think he'll, he'll retire. I mean, I think he needs something substantial to happen between now and the end of the year. And I don't know at this point whether it will, because the problem is that the rank and file, you know, every match, it's like before he played Rafa a couple of weeks ago, you know, he was tough, two tough matches in the qualifying, you know, he's, he, every match is, tends to be a struggle for him these days. And not just against the best players, but against guys that are anywhere between 80 and, and 120 in the world. God, if, if we didn't know who you were talking about, you could be describing Andy Murray the last couple of years. Similar. Yeah, yeah it is. It <laughs> is. But hopefully exactly. hopefully he has a lot more tennis in the future, and hopefully he's this is not his final year. hope not. Um, one other match I want to talk about, and it was it was an interesting match. Caroline Garcia played Naomi Osaka. It was good to see Naomi back. Caroline Garcia wins in straight sets. I watched the whole second set, Steve. She served amazing in that second set. 
amazing. Now, again, for Osaka, obviously disappointed that she couldn't win and she loses in the first round, but she's got to give herself time, too, to get back on tour. But credit to Caroline. I mean, Caroline served amazing that match. No, she did, but Naomi played very well, just as she had in her loss at Brisbane to Pliskova, tight three-setter. Each time these matches turned in tie breaks because she really – in the case of the Pliskova match, she could have won that if she would have closed out a second set tie break, lost it and went down in three. And here, uh, you know, she played well in the first set, too, because Carolyn almost had her double break in the first four, two and a couple of break points for five two, And Naomi hung in there and almost broke back, lost that one six four. And then the set you're describing, they're both holding all the way through. But Carolyn outplayed Naomi in the tie break. I still think it's encouraging performance for Osaka second tournament back after 15 months away and having a baby she's on the right track and she her attitude she just seemed so much more positive she actually looked like she was enjoying herself despite losing that was a very good sign she was competing with a very you know kind of a happy attitude something that was missing from her uh when she when we all were seeing her struggling on course so that is good to see um, let me ask you, we'll do some quick hitters about some matches tonight and other second rounders. Again, we don't want to project too far because um, we know there's going to be some upsets and different results, but there's some entertaining matches tonight, Steve. So quick hitters. Are you ready? Sure. Iga Sviatek versus Sophia Kennan. Yeah. That, you know, I mean, listen, this is the, the battle of the battle of grand slam champions it could be you know i could see it being a little bit time still going with ega but i'm not shocked if it goes three richard gasquet versus carlos alcaraz you know i gasquet is the perfect foil there i mean i think that carlos is going to breeze through that it's i mean the tennis is going to be great and gasquet will put on a stellar shot making display as he always does with that flashy one-handed backhand but i i'd be very surprised if carlos loses a set despite the fact that he didn't play any warm-up tournaments, and he's trying to get himself matched tough right now. I think it's the perfect kind of match for him to start. I see sort of a 4-4-4 four, four, and four for Alcaraz. Camille Georgie versus Victoria Azarenka. Camille Georgie loves playing the top players. She enjoys the big stage against these the great champions. I've seen her play some interesting matches against Serena Williams. I I, I think uh, I, I think it's Azarenka, but tight, tight again. Maybe six and five. A smoking hot Grigor Dimitrov right now, and I don't mean just good looks, right? I mean his play on the court, right? We all know he is very handsome, right? But I'm talking his play on the court right <laughs> now. A career resurgence from Grigor against Martin Fuksovich, who is a physical specimen himself. That's a dangerous one for Grigor. And if Grigor, I mean, he's been playing so well. I, I'm, I mean, I like both guys, but I think it would be really, really disappointing if Grigor doesn't get through this match. I agree, which is why I think he will get through this match. I think that's how he looks at it. He's not, at, at this point, he expects himself to win a match like that. <laughs> a, as you said, as a physical specimen, he's a, he stays in those long rallies. You really, it takes a lot to break down his game. But Grigor has that variety of his back end with the slice and the top spin, and he's playing maybe, certainly playing some of the best tennis of his career. So I would say a tight four-setter, but Grigor comes through in the end, maybe seven, six in the fourth. Two more for you. 
Also intriguing matches. Danielle Collins versus Angelique Kerber. That'd be a lot of fun. Danielle Collins has the kind of game. I, it, 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 there's so many ways that match could go because she has that kind of game, that aggressive game that could take Angie out of her rhythm. Kerber got some good good preparation in for this tournament in the team competition and looked good over, over the course of the week. Uh, I, I, I see Kerber getting through that match, but it, it, it's something of a toss-up. I give Kerber about a 5% edge. I mean, I think we're going three. Emma Raducanu versus Shelby Rogers. That's a lot of fun. I mean, obviously we remember the great win that Shelby had over Ash Barty at the U.S. Open a few years back. And, you know, she's a she's a very capable player. She can't be – you can never take her lightly. I don't know if she's playing as well as she was back then. So, in the end, I, I don't like her chances. But I think the match is, is, is going to be a lot of fun to watch, uh, you know, Hard fall. Shelby just got married too recently. So congratulations, Shelby Rogers. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I lied. I have one more for you, but it's not tonight. I think it's the, the, the day after. It's a second round. It's also a second round match. 16-year-old Mira Andreva versus Anz Jabor, which will be interesting. A lot of fun. I mean, obviously, I, I Anz has really got to impose herself. I, I hope she – the always thing – I always get a bit concerned about Anz's nerves, not her game, because I think there's so much versatility in her game, but is she going to get tight playing a young player like that, you know, feel a lot of pressure? I, I, I can see that match going three sets, but I like Anz to win it. Yeah, I think so. I think I agree with that one. I think she wins actually in close, close straight sets, but it'll be fun to fun to watch. All right. The next time we're going to do this is over the weekend. So right now, again, to timestamp it for timestamp it for the listeners. It's now Monday. It's now three o'clock Eastern. We're going to get this out um, before the Monday. Sorry, Monday, three o'clock Eastern in the States. We're going to release this pod before day three starts in Australia. Um, the next time we do this, we'll do one over the weekend, Steve. Um, so we won't be uh, we'll, we'll we'll do a good type of mid recap and we'll uh, we'll see where we are at that point. Does that sound good? It sounds good because at that stage of the tournament, we're going to have a much better sense of the shape of the tournament and what's ahead and getting down to the round of 16 and quarters. That's going to be a lot of fun to talk at that stage and see where where things stand. But I like the way we're I like the way we're getting off the ground here. Good start for the 2024 Australian Open. Good start. And uh, for those that are in the States, depending on where you live, stay warm. Uh, I'm in Chicago. It was negative 14 degrees when I woke up this morning. So I should have said if if the Zoom, uh, for those that watch us on video, if the uh, Zoom looks frozen, it's not. It's just that I'm frozen. It's that cold in Chicago. But we're we're making it through. And thankfully, the heat's working in the house. So with that, uh, God willing, we'll, we'll, we'll see you next weekend, Steve. Okay, David. Thank you. 